Hi again, everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Sean Kelly. Great to be back with you on this chilly Wednesday in New Orleans. Freezing, cold, obnoxious everywhere else. But uh, it is warm inside Studio B at the Oshawa Sports Performance Center. Kind of a busy Wednesday here in our facility. Saints head coach Sean Payton is speaking today uh, for the first time since the NFC Championship. This is his season recap press conference. Obviously, the NFL commissioner takes the microphone later on on this Wednesday. And the Pelicans are back home for a ball game tonight against the Denver Nuggets. This is the second game of a back-to-back in New Orleans. So shorthanded last night, stunned the Rockets in Houston. Big win for the Pels, uh, who have now taken a 2-1 series lead in the uh, in the battle with the Rockets this season. Good stuff. And they won both games in Houston this year. That's the first time that's happened since 2010 11. So we've got a lot on our plate. Obviously, still the news is thick from last week. It got even a little thicker on Monday uh, in these parts. And we have a great guest to help us kind of make our way through some of it, cut through some of the noise, gain some perspective today, and, of course, just have a fine conversation. Stan Verrett's our guest. The New Orleans native uh, is obviously one of the key sports center anchors, anchoring, of course, Sports Center Los Angeles, and a huge, huge Saints fan and New Orleans sports fan. We've had him on before. It's been some time, but I think he's just the perfect guest for us this week. We didn't even talk about the Super Bowl. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about our visit that we just taped a few moments ago. I didn't even ask him to preview the Super Bowl for us. We just really spent all of our time today talking about the NFC Championship, uh, his feelings about how all that went down, what he would ask Sean Payton and Roger Goodell at their press conferences today if he was in attendance. And, of course, we have him touch upon the Anthony Davis New Orleans Pelican situation, too. It's just it's a great guy to have because he's got one foot planted where we all are in the New Orleans sports world. And, of course, nationally, the other foot planted there at the Sports Center desk. So I hope that you'll sit back or uh, crank up the treadmill or turn up the car radio uh, as as we get set to have a very nice visit today on the Black and Blue Report with one of our favorite guests and that's Stan Verrett, the New Orleans native who makes his way back and forth all year long, including uh, perhaps for some crawfish this spring. We'll ask him about that, too. He's our guest, and he's yours in just a moment. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Sean Kelly. Well, Stan Verrett, of course, a native of New Orleans and unabashedly a huge Saints fan, so gracious to join us on this week's Black and Blue Report. Uh, Stan, I'm, you know, I'm curious as you're making your way through the Los Angeles area on this fine Wednesday, uh, would you describe yourself as the biggest Saints fan on the West Coast? Is that fair to say? Uh, I, I'm up there. I, I don't know if I've met one bigger. <laughs> At least not one that travels as much as you do. How many flights did you take this year to see your football team, Stan? Uh, I made it to every home game except the Panthers game at the end. Uh, you know, that one didn't really matter. So I sat that one out to get ready for the playoffs. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so I made it to seven home games. Didn't make the preseason games. I usually give those tickets away. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. My family moved after Katrina from New Orleans. So, you know, it's, the Saints are, are my connection to home still. And so I get a chance to see family and friends and enjoy the game. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, football is a part of our lives in New Orleans. And, and 
I, I just don't want to give that up, even though I live in Los Angeles. I, I just didn't want to give it up. I, I don't know if I've asked you this before or not, but Stan, I find it a unique that you know a national sportscaster like yourself is is wide open about his allegiances or his fandom. Um, are there others that you work with that have a team and a passion like you do that are willing to travel to their team's home games week in and week out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kevin Nagandi is a rabid Eagles fan. Linda Cohn is a huge Giants fan. Uh, my partner, Neil, uh, is a huge Oregon fan, goes to just about every home Oregon football game. Uh, I mean, if everybody pretty much – I mean, you, you know how it is, Sean. We we chose these, we chose this profession because we're sports fans, and so you, know, you get to a point where you 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 can see your team and 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 get get a chance to still be a fan, and so you take it. And um, working in in media, I mean, look, you know, one of the one of the things that that ESPN asked us to do as anchors is to be ourselves with with the advent of technology now people can get highlights pretty much anywhere so what they'd like for us to do as anchors is to establish a relationship with the audience so that they don't just want to see the highlights they want to come and hang out with me and neil so they said hey the best way to do that is to be yourself and so being myself a big part of me sports wise is, is being a saints fan and so I can't really be myself without expressing that. So, you know, we have a lot of leeway to do that, and, and a lot of people at ESPN are, are are fans of their teams just like the viewers. I think folks will find that fascinating. And and, a, and the reason why I kind of bring that up is I want to walk you up to the to the fact that you had one foot, you know, in the Houdat Nation and one foot at the Sports Center desk as all that NFC Championship thing unfolded. And how did you deal with it? having one foot in each of those worlds? Well, I just told the truth. You know, I got on the air, and uh, our producer asked me to do a little commentary. He knows how I feel about it, and so he knows it, it would be a, a glaring omission if I didn't comment on it at all. So I told the truth. I said, look, the Saints have to deal with the loss. I mean, no congressional measure or lawsuit or anything else is going to make the NFL go back, replay the game, change the results, play the last minute 49. I mean, it makes for good fire on, on sports talk. Uh, I understand people's anger. I understand people's need to want a solution that, that, that seems fair. But the reality of it is it's not going to happen. Once that official didn't throw the flag or no official threw the flag, that was it. Not reviewable. That was it. So Saints fans and the, and the organization have to move on. I saw Drew Brees say as much. Um, but the NFL also has to deal with the fact that you have a serious credibility problem with one of your most rabid fan bases, one of your most supportive fan bases, now has a very serious mistrust of the NFL in the way things like this are adjudicated. And so the league has to live with that until they do something or say something that makes Saints fans feel at least like they've addressed it. Um, and, and the Saints have to deal with the loss, and, and that's just what it is. There's a lot of national folks, Stan, that have, that have talked to the Saints fandom, if you will, and said, time to get over it. There were other factors in the game, all those things. Um, if, if you're going to speak for your fellow Saints fans, what do you say back toward 
national criticism of, of the mourning period that they've been going through? Well, I mean, look, this is not grief as in you lost a family member or a friend or anything like that. So I don't want to overstate it. Mm-hmm. But people get over things in their own time, in their own way. And, you know, if you've devoted a significant portion of your income to following this team, if you've devoted your Sunday afternoon every week to following this team, you're going you're to have some emotional involvement with them. And when it looks like they're on the doorstep of getting a chance to compete for a championship and that's taken away by a blown call, people are going to be ticked off. They're going to be upset. And you have to understand that you have to allow that. I mean, that, that, that's just reality. People say, well, the official missed the call because the officials are human. Okay, well, Saints fans are upset because Saints fans are human too. And so you just, you just have to understand that. Um, anybody who's a real fan who has a real emotional investment in a team for whatever reason, they get it. But, again, you have 24-hour news cycles um, in, in sports talk, and so people have to come up with material day after day after day after day. So the contrarian take is, hey, you Saints fans, get over it because it, it makes people upset. It, it goes viral. It, you know, it, it, it draws attention. And so some of this is for effect. Um, but but at the same time, I think I think – you have to allow people space to get over this in their own time, in their own way. Yeah, yeah. Stan, can you think of another fan base that's dealt with something so sudden as the way that that game ended? No. No, I've been thinking about that. Not, not in that way. Um, because for people who say, well, there were other chances and the Saints got the ball first in overtime, well, there would have been no overtime if they get that call right. And I'm, I've always been one. First thing I said Sunday night is, Listen, you can't blame officials uh, for, for, for losing a game, okay? You can't, I, I've, I've never been into that because, you know, again, you can, you can, you can go over a million calls in, in any game at any time, and you can say, okay, well, this might have this, you know, so you play the what-if game with the officials. But I've never seen a call that was both missed so blatantly by – Several officials in position, at least three in position to make the call, okay? And all three of them missed a play in which two penalties occurred, two obvious penalties occurred, one of which involves player safety, which is supposed to be at the forefront for all the officials, okay? And and there's a blatant head-to-head element that led to a fine, that upon further review led to a fine, okay? So you miss that, and you also miss a blatant pass interference. And, again, there are a few officials in position to make that call, okay? You combine that with the fact that it almost certainly would have altered the outcome of the game and sent one team to the Super Bowl instead of another team. I've never seen a call that was both that blatantly missed with that much on the line. Yeah, I I can't think of anything else either myself. and. I know I'm in the building. I'm trying to be objective, but I, I, I myself can't think of anything quite like it either. Uh, Stan Verrett here with us on the Black and Blue Report. Stan, if I could put you on a plane today um, and fly you to Sean Payton's season recap press conference and then stick you on another plane, send you to Atlanta for Roger Goodell's first public comments since the NFC Championship game, 
what question would you want to ask Sean Payton, and what question would you want to ask Roger Goodell if you were in play? Uh, I would ask Sean Payton, uh, what what were your thoughts on Drew Brees changing the play at the line of scrimmage on that on that first down when they were moving when they threw the the pass to uh, Michael Thomas? Because the way Payton explained it, uh, he called a run and then Brees changed the play at the line of scrimmage because that's been that's been a talking point for so many people. Like, oh, well, the Saints have run the ball three times and never would have been in position for that. But, you know, it, it, it looked to be the right call because they would have gotten a touchdown if the, if, if the pass was better. I mean, uh, Drew missed the pass. But but I like the call. But I, I'd, I'd like to hear some more of his thoughts on that. Um, and I, I would want to ask Roger Cadell, what do you say to Saints fans that – in any way could make them feel better about this situation. And then I'd shut up and, and wait for his answer. Hmm. Uh, do you find it interesting that Saints fans have had to wait all this time for someone to ask that question? Uh, no, because realistically, what what can he say? What, what can he say? And that's why I would ask that question, because I would really want to know, what can you say – that would that could somehow explain this other than hey look our bad we blew that one and it, it, it cost you know that team a trip to the Super Bowl. Now we talk a lot about you know we talked a lot about the fan impact and, and what it means to fans and look we're the paying customers and so obviously you know, we're, we're we're gonna be upset about this. But then think about the players who are actually a part of the NFL for whom. This is their job, and many of whom have a very limited window in which they're physically able to play the game. Okay, I think the average career is three or four years, whatever. Okay, so now here's a chance for you to experience the, the, the ultimate high in your game, the pinnacle of your profession, the Super Bowl, okay? and, and it's taken away by a bad call. And you think about you know, off-season training and then OTAs, and then training camp, and then preseason, and then making it through a regular season, and, and, and all the sweat and, and pain and sacrifice that goes into that, only to have it taken away by somebody who is just grossly incompetent at doing their job. And, you know, you, you really feel for the players because that's, you know, you talk to players and they say, look, going to the Super Bowl is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Their families get involved, and everybody's so proud, and everybody's so happy for each one of the guys on that roster. And, you know, this this particular group of, of Saints is never going to be together again. You know, m- most of the core will still be there, but this group that went 13-3 and three in the regular season earned the number one seed, looked like it had pretty much earned the right to go to the Super Bowl. They're never going to get to experience that together. And and that, that's a tremendous price to pay for the incompetence of, of the officiating. Fair. Well said. Stan Verrett. Uh, Stan, I don't, I don't, you know, obviously this moment in time will be remembered for years and years and years and years. I certainly don't want it to overshadow, though, what was a pretty spectacular season for the New Orleans Saints. What will you remember most, aside from that call, or no call in this case, about this last campaign for the black and gold? Um, how they methodically just found ways to win. You know, how they, how they dealt with whatever was in front of them, 
um, and, and and just found ways to win consistently. I mean, when you looked at the schedule when the season started, I mean, there, there were some tough games. There were some tough stretches in there. You know, the three straight weeks on the road, um, just, just the overall strength of the schedule and the way they were able to just put together a winning game plan and go out and execute it week after week after week. I mean, you think about the uh, the Tampa Bay game. I mean, I think we all were a little worried after that first game. Like, hey, wait a minute. You know, what's going on here? Is the secondary still going to be a problem? You know, have they taken a step back and that sort of thing? And then they were able to just right the ship the next week against Cleveland and then just then just keep trudging along. I mean, when, when you look at what what they've been able to do the last two years, I mean, they had the – the uh, what was it ten game winning streak or eight game winning streak the, the year before? I mean, when when they start winning, it, it seems like it becomes contagious. It becomes a habit, and uh, I think they've got a they've got a great base, a great core on the team, and a great locker room that that's set up for continued success. So, I, I, if anything, um, it, the ending left me really excited about the start of next season because I think being denied that opportunity, I believe, is only going to help this the players who come back realize how special that opportunity is because they were denied it. Now, it's one thing, you know, you can appreciate it from actually going through it, going to a Super Bowl and realize, hey, man, this is so great, it's wonderful. But being denied that chance, through no fault of your own, I think can either, you know, send you off the deep end where you just say, hey, what's the use? But I, I don't think that locker room is going to react that way. I think that locker room will come back uh, more determined than ever, you know, to leave no doubt, you know, to not be in a position where one play can change a game like that, to go out and, and, and establish right from the very beginning that, um, that, that, that they're a championship team. It's interesting. It would be in stand and be in a lot of ways the second straight off season that you'd have that. If you look at what happened in Minnesota uh, last year uh, and what that did as far as fueling the off season, uh, this is almost like going back to the same well, but a deeper one, even in, in some respects. Absolutely, because in the other case, you know, you're trying to lift up a teammate, you know, a guy who is a part of the future. Who, who blew a play. I mean, in some ways, I think that's easier to accept because, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't blame an official for that. You can't, you know, Marcus, Marcus blew the play. I mean, I, I, I know his family. They live out here in, uh, in California, and so I see them flying back for, for Saints games sometimes. And, um, you know, he's got a great support system, and, and the team stood behind him, and the fans were absolutely tremendous to him uh, after that happened. So, so that's one thing. And you have to you have to rally around him. But this is a totally different thing because you look around and you say, "Hey, look, we did everything we were supposed to do. We all did our job. The official didn't do his job mm-hmm. at at a critical juncture in the game." So, but I still think you know they can rally around that and say, "Look, you know, leave leave no doubt, leave no doubt. Don't be in a position where where one play can change the game." And and I think. Um, you know, Sean, Sean Payton will probably express that to the team if he hasn't already, that, you know, you, you use that as fuel, as motivation to come back. You know, it's interesting. They had a banner on the facility wall here outside of overlooking the practice fields this past season, the entire season. Prove them right. Maybe 
maybe, Stan, Sean yep. Payton steals your leave no doubt, and that's the next banner we see on the facility. Hey, you can feel free to use it. <laughs> I, I don't even need a commission on it or, or any kind of royalty or anything. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, before I let you go, I mean, obviously when I reached out, because I thought you'd just be the perfect guest to have to help us get through this a little bit, kind of lead the fan base a little bit. Um, I had no idea that on the basketball side, the Anthony Davis news would drop on Monday. So it's been kind of a rough go here for the New Orleans sports fan. Um, when you heard the Anthony Davis news on Monday, Stan, what was what was your personal reaction to that? Uh, you know, I just feel for the hardcore basketball fans in New Orleans who who have been supporting the team um, through all of this. I mean, you know, you, you go back and I, I did a I did a lead into this story on Sportsman the other night. You go back to Baron Davis, who was you know a, a, an MVP candidate in the uh, 03 04 season. Um, and, and the Hornets were rolling right along, and then, you know, Barron decides he, he wants to play in a bigger market, and he leaves. And so then, you know, that's a, a top-five draft pick who now is gone, okay? Um, you know, they traded him to the Warriors, but, I mean, just, you know, Stevie Clax is a good player, but, that, you know, they didn't get full value for him. Um, then, you, then you look at Chris Paul and Chris wanting to leave, and then the trade with the Lakers at the NBA Knicks, and then and then they trade him to the Clippers. So another top five draft pick, who's a, a franchise cornerstone, and and now he's gone. And so then you get the good fortune of of drafting Anthony Davis, and now he wants to leave as well. Now you know I don't know what the solution is uh, for this sort of thing, or if there needs to be a solution, honestly. Um, but if you look at, I, I think it just has to come down to the makeup of that player. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen ultimately with, say, a Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee. But he's decided, at least for now, I want to be the cornerstone of this franchise, build this around me. They've got a new arena, and the city's excited, and they've got the best record in the league. Okay, so, it, you know, Oklahoma City, Russell Westbrook, making a real commitment to stay there and make it happen. You know, everybody doesn't have to be the Warriors or the Lakers, you know, or the Knicks. I mean, um, you, you can make it happen in a market the size of New Orleans. Um, but but I, I, I just worry about um, fans becoming disillusioned because of just the repeated uh, dissatisfaction with players for whatever reason about playing in New Orleans. And, and you know, I think LeBron James – proved in Cleveland that if you're a superstar and you win, it doesn't matter where you play. With the technology that we have today with NBA League Pass and you know all the other means of streaming games, you will get seen. You, know, you will get uh, endorsement deals and, and, and all the other stuff, I think, that goes into these decisions. You can get those things in whatever market you play in if you win, I think winning is the key. Now, I don't know, you know, what, what Anthony Davis's take was on coaching or management or anything like that. I mean, that's, that's certainly his impressions, and he's entitled to those, and I don't know if that played a factor in his decision. I mean, I know he wants to win, but I don't think there's anybody there who doesn't want to win. Um, so, you know, personally, just as a New Orleanian, of course you, 
you're disappointed because it feels like a rebuke of of, of the city and the, and the franchise, and you, know, you hate to see that. But you know, they just have to. I mean, look, that win over Houston was very, very encouraging. Um, I think the little Okafor, right now, he's he, he, if he plays like he played last night, he's going to be the biggest bargain in the NBA uh, over the next couple of years. So, look, they, you know, maybe these other guys um, rally around each other and, um, you know, become a sum greater than their parts you know, fueled by the motivation of, hey, we're, you know, this team is, is, is more than one player, as great as Anthony Davis is, you know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how long the Pelicans let this play out because of the situation with the Celtics, and they're probably in the best position in terms of assets to, to, to make a deal that gives the Pelicans the most in return. But because of the Kyrie Irving situation with him being a designated player, they can't make a deal until after Kyrie Irving becomes a free agent and, and re-signs. So, you know, what do you do here? I mean, they, they're, they're sort of a, a respite for everybody involved right now because Anthony Davis is out with a finger injury. But when it's time for him to play again, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you deal with that? I mean, I think everybody's a professional and, and you know, everybody will do their job. But that's still the elephant in the room. You know, th- th- this guy says he doesn't want to be a part of this anymore. And so, you know, if you're Alvin Gentry, how do you coach that? I mean, are they going to try to force a deal before the deadline just to sort of move on with it? I mean, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting dynamic, not just up until the dre- uh, up until the deadline uh, in the short term, but then what happens the rest of the season you know, after the deadline. I mean, I, I hear people saying, hey, you know, sit him down the rest of the way so he doesn't get hurt and then tank so you can get a draft pick. You know, you get a better position in the lottery potentially. So it's going to be a, a, a very in, intriguing thing. I mean, I, I've always been one to side with players in terms of their mobility. I mean, their careers, um, they've all worked very hard to get to where they are. And look, the collective bargaining agreement allows them this sort of mobility, even though you're not supposed to announce it <laughs> the way he announced it, and he, and he had to pay a fine for that. But, you know, everybody's free to make their choice. I mean, I said the same thing when, when LeBron decided to leave Cleveland. I said, hey, what part of free agent don't you understand? A little different when a guy's under contract, but still, you know, there's there's a thinking that, hey, maybe he did the Pelicans a favor by, by you know, let, putting it out on the table now so they can – plan for the future, uh, get the best deal possible with the understanding that he's not going to be a part of the future. So, you know, there's a lot to this. And I don't know that we can really, you know, put uh, a punctuation mark on it until we actually see how it plays out. When do they trade him? Do they get maximum value for him? Uh, so there's, 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 a, there's a lot there. I, it's awkward. It's weird. I can't ever remember a situation of this caliber of a player a year and a half away from the end of this contract. You're right. Uh, Stan, you answered just about every question I had involved there. So well done. Um, one more thing before you go. I know football season's uh, over, but uh, I'm getting word here, Stan, that the crawfish uh, crop is going to be the best in years. Maybe that'll get you to come back home again here soon. 
Yeah, you know, I have a, a really good friend uh, from Bill Platt who lives out here in Santa Monica. And every summer she has a magnificent crawfish boil. And there's maybe 25, 30 of us who all circle that date on the calendar once she says she's having a crawfish. And she has her crawfish shipped to L.A. live. And so, you know, they dump them in the pot. I mean, she goes all out. She's got the big, the big uh, pot, you know, to cook them in. And, and, I mean, she does a real authentic Louisiana style. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to be at home again uh, next month in March. I'm on a panel for the Louisiana Association of Broadcasters with, with Channel 6. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be home for that. And then I always make it down to Essence Music Festival. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I'll be back and forth. I mean, I get my gumbo cravings, and, and i got to get home for that. So <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be back and forth until football season. We're all huge fans of you here, Stan. And uh, any time we get you for a visit like this, it's special to us. Thanks again, and, and all the best to you here uh, as we move into the springtime. We'll see you soon. All right. Anytime, Sean. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. There he is, Stan Verrett, ESPN, Sports Center, Los Angeles. And there you have it. A pretty good way to end the month of January here on the Black and Blue Report, our last podcast of the month. And, of course, uh, we'll look forward to uh, a good February run as well. We'll be making our way toward the NBA All-Star Game, and uh, and we'll be stepping kind of firmly into the NFL's offseason as well. Hard to believe we've already had the Senior Bowl, and that coverage again Anchored by John DeShazer. Thank him very much. And uh, certainly we'll look forward to more as we progress away from the Super Bowl, which is this coming Sunday. Again, I just didn't feel the need with regard to the Super Bowl this weekend. Patriots and Rams, enjoy if you like. I'll probably watch because I'm in the business. Kind of got to do it. Um, but I'll understand as well if you just want to have a different Sunday this year around. And uh, and that's your, your prerogative for sure. Big thanks again to Stan Ferret. Don't forget to catch Stan and Neil, obviously, Sports Center Los Angeles. Say hello when you see him around town. He's back and forth quite a bit, back here to his uh, home stomping grounds. Appreciate Daniel Sallerson's help today as well in Studio B. We'll cheer on the Pelicans tonight as they take on a very good Denver team, and then they hit the road on Saturday to take on the San Antonio Spurs. Until next time, I'm Sean Kelly. Appreciate you, as always, as to listening to the Black and Blue Report podcast.